Mac Power Users, Episode 569, Contextual Computing. Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year, everybody. This is David Sparks, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. How are you today, Stephen? I'm great, David. Happy New Year to you. I, uh, I'm ready for a new year. You know, everybody talks about that. How, hey, it's New Year. Everything's going to be better. I think so. I think it is time to have a change. I'm going to choose to make it a better year. How's that? I like it. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you one thing that hasn't changed is uh, my love for waking up and making the Mac Power Users podcast. So um, looking really forward. This will, We are starting our third year together now. Can you believe that? It's unreal. <laughs> I, I was looking through our archives. We've been planning out the year and shows, kind of seeing some big things we want to talk about. I was like, oh. It's been three years. What happened? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's been awesome. I'm so happy that you joined the show. Me and too. I think the audience is too. We hear from so many people that love hearing from you. The um, uh, we've got a lot going on. You know, because it's the new year, I just wanted to take a minute to talk about more power users. And last year, we premiered this membership uh, drive with the Mac Power Users. Um, it's been really helpful to us to help keep the show in production help offset, you know, kind of the loss in revenue with, with sponsorships and things going away during the pandemic. Um, and we've got a lot of really great stuff planned for it this year. If you sign up for more power users, you get a feed, a special feed of this show that has no ads. So if you don't want to listen to the ads, you get that you don't get those. But uh, I think even more importantly is we do this episode, we call it more power users. And at the end of each show, we talk about a subject and we're very careful. We keep the, you know, we keep the the best stuff I would say in the main feed, but we have a lot of interesting stuff to talk to that, um, you know, it, it kind of goes beyond what we normally do. And it's fun to get into that stuff. And the more power user subscribers get all that. For instance, today on more power users, I'm having really dangerous thoughts about selling my iMac pro and, <laughs> I, oh, no. I, I just texted you that I, I'm thinking about this and you're like, okay, we have to talk this out and we're going to, we're going to do a therapy session today at the end of Mac power users where Steven is either going to talk me off the ledge or push me off it. I don't even really know which way this is going to go, <laughs> but yeah, that's an example of a more power users episode and we'd love to have you join us and it's a new year. So why not sign up for it? You can do that over at, was it Steven? What's the URL again? It is relay.fm slash mpu slash join yes go over there sign up we'd love to have you on the more power users team uh, also this is the last call for paperless uh, field guide introductory pricing the price is going up shortly after this show publishes i'll put a link in the show notes thanks for everybody who's bought it and i've had tons of great feedback from the listeners on it but if you want to get that introductory price it's uh, just open for a few more days I had a marketing guy write me and tell me that I'm dumb because I always make it cheap at the beginning. Hmm. He's like, that's when people will pay the most. And I'm like, yeah, but I want to reward the people that listen to the Mac power users. Yeah. I don't want them to, you know? <laughs> so anyway, uh, my dumb marketing is still in place and you have a couple <laughs> days left to take advantage of it. <laughs> that's a bold sales pitch. You have a dumb yeah. idea. <laughs> yeah. I'm full of them. <laughs> <laughs> Something that happened to me though in 2020 that I would like to share with the audience heading into 2021 is the emergence of this idea of contextual computing. And that's just a, a word I made for it. And I, I know other people have worked on this. In fact, we had Luke on last year who got a PhD talking about 
similar concepts, but in my head, I call it contextual computing. And I kind of wanted to dive deep on that for the audience, because this is a real game changer for me, and I hope it is for you too. You know, so I guess I'll start with talking about what I consider to be the problem. You know, computers are great, but they are also distraction machines. I mean, everything about a computer is designed to distract you. Um, I think back to the days that I used a PC, you know, I had to work in a big fancy law office and we had these PCs and like one of the forms of distraction of a PC computer, at least back when I was using them was maintenance. Like every once in a while, the thing would just start slowing down and you'd have to defrag. And like a lot of times you'd have to just sometimes nuke and pave to get the software to work. And like, there were all these little distractions where I just wanted to, you know, write a brief and Mm -hmm. the damn thing just wouldn't do the stuff I needed it to do. So there was a distraction. Um, A lot of that I left behind me, you know, when I'm working on a Mac, but there are other forms of distractions as well. Like, um, Steven, have you ever opened a browser to go to a specific website and then 30 minutes caught your later, you catch yourself saying, what, why did I open this browser? Yeah. All the time, all yeah. the time. In your case, I imagine like you open it to do important relay work and suddenly you find yourself on like an eBay channel for a, um, a Mac from, you know, 30 years ago or something. Wow. I don't know. Right. That's shockingly accurate. <laughs> or or even like the manual for a mac from 30 years ago Mm -hmm. because i know you go deep you know me Um, well the uh but i think that's something we all can relate to is that they're just distractions you open the browser and it's very easy to go somewhere else you see something shiny you get distracted and you're off and then from that shiny thing you find another shiny thing and then it's just it's amazing to me like there's a great app for the mac called timing where um, it tracks what you do on your Mac. And I know that, you know, time tracking is kind of a different thing. And a lot of people like to, to do time tracking, but um, timing does that. But the, the thing that makes it interesting is that it's automatic. So at the end of the day, you can look back and say, well, I spent, you know, one hour in Microsoft Word and 1.5 hours in Amazon, you know, mm-hmm. and you're like, whoops, you know, what happened there, Sparky? Um, so, so anyway, that's, you know, the point of being distractions, but it's not just web. It's a lot of things. Um, Email is another famous one. Like you open your mail application and the first thing it shows you is your inbox, but you're opening your mail application to go to an email that you read three weeks ago that you want to work on for a client. And, but that inbox is there and it shows you other email from other people. And suddenly you go down the rabbit hole of those emails. And again, 30 minutes later, you find yourself wondering, why did I even open this app? Yeah, that's the the one for me that is the sneakiest where I'm starting out in a position where like, I'm doing this to have some stuff knocked off my to-do list. I'm going to be productive in here. And then I get distracted with other things that aren't necessarily bad, right? It's different if I'm distracted by uh, YouTube videos for a while, but yeah. it's when yeah. other work or other things get in the way that, aren't bad in and of themselves, but that's where I, I find myself getting frustrated. Yeah. We talk about this on the focus podcast of infinity pools, and it really is a pool of infinity. You can fall into um, another really, you know, uh, culprit for me is my task manager. I love OmniFocus. I talk about it on the show all the time. OmniFocus has all of my tasks in it. It's the big bucket of things to do. 
And I may go in there to work on a specific thing, but then I see something else in the inbox that I, I feel like, oh, I need to think about that too. And suddenly I'm distracted. I mean, uh, nearly every app and service has the ability to distract and divert you. So while computers give you this amazing power to work on all these things, they also um, really just do their best to keep you from doing them deliberately. Another way I like to think about this problem is the barrier between thought and action. Okay. Like when you're sitting there and say, I want to go look up the most recent case, California law case on trade secret law, you know, easy, right? You open, I have a place I go, I know where that is on the internet. I go to a specific place. It gives me the case. I can read the case. But if I just open my browser and then start working my way to that website, it's very possible I'll get distracted. So the idea in a nutshell of contextual computing is removing all barriers between thought and action. So uh, to use that example, I want to go read that new case on trade secret law. I come up with the idea. I click one button on my computer and that case is on my screen. You know, when you used to be a kid and play board games, there was always a card that says go directly to go, you know, mm-hmm. you know, don't pass, you know, whatever, you know, it's just a way to avoid all that other stuff and get to exactly where you want. And that's what contextual computing is. That's the idea behind it. Now, the implementation is a little more complicated um, because there's lots of problems you need to solve to get there. But if you are able to remove that middle thing between um, you know, thought and action, you know, if you get all that, that navigation of computers out of the mix, um, you can contextually compute. And I can tell you as somebody who's been doing it very seriously for a year now, it makes a huge difference. So we're going to talk about how this works on mobile as well as, as on the Mac. And so we'll kind of treat those things, um, separately, but do you have some, some broad ideas that pertain to both? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's a mechanical problem. You know, you know, you solve a nerdy, the nerdiness creates the problem, the distraction, but nerdiness can solve the problem. And, and I, I want to break it down by platform because the way you solve the problem on mobile is different than the way you solve the problem on Mac. But, but the, the beginning point I think is a desire by the user to say, okay, I'm done with all this distraction. I want to be like a ninja that moves between my technology, between the idea of the thing I want to do and doing the thing without any, without giving that monkey brain between my ears, any ability to get in the way. And that's all of us, man. I mean, it's just, if you put the stuff in front of your face, you are going to get distracted. Yeah. Yeah. In a way, her devices are like, I mean, you said infinity pool, but, um, like even the device itself, like there are so many things about the way apps and systems are designed to capture our attention and to hold it. We're not fighting just against our own minds, but against systems that actively are trying to draw us in, which is like a whole nother level of frustration if you're trying to work around them. Yeah. So I've got ideas for mobile and, and the Mac. We're going to go through those. I wanted, before we get started, though, just to talk about some key concepts of, of contextual, commu- uh, uh, contextual computing that occur to me after having you know, been going down the road for a while. And the first is 
This is not rocket science. If you're listening to this and you're going, ah, Sparky's about to get into some, you know, gross Apple script or JavaScript and I'm going to tune out. This is something anybody can do. The automation is not difficult. Um, but, you know, they're basic tools that you can use to do these basic actions. Um, but it does require automation. I think automation is the key to removing that middle, that middle bit, you know, that gets in the way of the distraction. And some specific technologies that, that I've come to rely upon this, um, the first is, is URL links and schemes. You know, the idea of being able to call into a specific location. Like a good example is uh, I'm working on my next field guy right now. And this one, I, I can give you guys a, a secret. The next field guide is going to have a written component to it. So I'm kind of writing a book in addition to doing videos. And I've got all these words I've been working on in Ulysses. And I've got all these places I go to. Like I've got a note in craft, which I'm trying out. And I've got tasks in OmniFocus. And I've got all these places on my Mac that I work on this next field guide. Um, but I actually do the physical writing on the book part of this, this in Ulysses. Well, Ulysses has the ability to save any note in Ulysses as a URL link. And you do that by holding down, I think, the option key and right-clicking on it. I, I created a keyboard shortcut where it's just um, Control-Option-Command-C. So if I hit that keyboard shortcut on any note in Ulysses, it just puts a URL link in my clipboard for that specific note. Well, now when I create a task in OmniFocus, it says work on this segment of that next field guide, I just paste that link in. So when the task comes up, I click the link, it opens Ulysses and puts me directly in the bucket of words that I'm specifically working on. Nice. Makes sense? Yeah. That's, you know, and URL links are everywhere. I mean, it seems it's amazing to me how many app developers have figured this out. You know, drafts is another one. We're going to go over it with some of the other content in the show. We're going to go kind of deep on some of these apps, the way you can use these URL links, but they're everywhere, you know, and then you've got this hook app, which we have Luke on that also can create URL links. So there's just so many ways to create these links to jump around your computer and not only open an application, but go to a very specific location in that application. Right. And that's really what you're talking about by getting rid of the middle step, right? You're not opening Ulysses and getting distracted by other projects that are in there. You can use one of these automation tools and go right to where you want to be. Yeah, exactly. And um, and some of them do have deep links. And um, another way they look at it is like, you know, application hooks where people build things. And there's different ways to do this on mobile versus on the Mac. But most of the apps we talk about on this show, you know, apps made by conscientious developers that are trying to make it easy for their users um, have embraced this. And they have ways for you to get to specific locations in their applications. You know, um, the, I guess the point I'm making is this goes way beyond a specific URL link in a browser. You know, mm -hmm. when I say URL callbacks, people think, well, okay, so all he's doing is saving a specific website, like my earlier example with the trade secret case. So he's got that website. He creates that link. He puts it in somewhere. He can jump to it. That's true. And that is very useful especially with web services, but um, your standard applications are in the mix too. And you need it to work everywhere. You know, it, you know, 
I guess let me restate that. I guess you don't need to work everywhere, but the more places you can implement a contextual compute um, framework, the faster you are and the less likely you are to get distracted. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps to learn more and to sign up for a free 30-day trial. When you sign up, you'll get 20% off. A lot of people have new goals in the new year, and a great one is to make sure that your online accounts are safe and secure. In the old days, that was a really difficult task, right? We all remember the times of passwords and sticky notes using the same password for everything. Uh, that time has passed because one password is here. It works on all of your devices, and it keeps your passwords safe and secure. But it goes even farther than that. 1Password has features that monitor your password. So if you do have a password you've reused, it'll let you know. If you have an account with a website that offers two-factor authentication and you're not using that, it'll let you know. If one of your passwords or your accounts is included in a data breach, which happen all the time online, 1Password will let you know. It's watching your back so you know that your accounts are safe and sound. It goes far beyond passwords, though. You can include software licenses, which I do a ton of, secure notes, IDs, debit cards, credit cards, anything you need safe and secure in all of your devices, 1Password is the place to put it. They have accounts for individuals, teams of uh, coworkers, and families. The latter two I use at work and at home, and it's fantastic to share logins and secure information with people in my life that I work with or with my spouse and know that we can all log into the accounts. And if one person makes a change, we all get the change. So head on over to onepassword.com slash MPU to learn more and to sign up for that free 30-day trial. When you sign up, you'll get 20% off. Once again, that's onepassword.com slash MPU. Our thanks to 1Password for their support of the show. All right. You know, I was just thinking about that first segment and I know I sound like I'm leaning heavy as I'm trying to sell you on contextual computing, <laughs> but it's, it's almost like, I feel like I'm just like a believer, you know, <laughs> I've seen how much it's helped me. So just bear with my, uh, you know, my preaching today, guys. <laughs> but, uh, for me, really the, the light bulb started going off with contextual computing on mobile and, you know, it started with kind of the growth of these shortcuts based home screens. Mm -hmm. And like, if you look back, I was publishing on these even before like 2019, I started building these where I was making these kind of fancy looking home screens that were a bunch of shortcut widgets. And there's only so many shortcuts. In fact, now with iOS 14, we're only getting, um, you know, if you use the widget, really, at most eight, but realistically, you know, the smaller size four shortcut widget makes more sense. So um, I started thinking about using shortcuts and as opposed to apps. And so the, the model on the iPhone and the iPad has always been app-based. Like you open the device, you see, like, there's Safari. I'm going to open Safari and then do something with Safari. Right. And, um that's true with not only something as basic as Safari, but as something like Ulysses. Let's just continue to use the example. You open the Ulysses app, and then you dig down to the place you want to start writing, and you start writing. And that's, that is the simplistic app-based model of um, user interaction on the iPhone and iPad. And I wanted to flip that. I wanted to say, 
rather than open up Ulysses and dig to my thing, I want a button that I push on my device that gets me exactly to the place I want to start writing. And basically, I looked at um, icons as contexts instead of apps. And so I started building these shortcuts based context. And I, I mean, before I thought of the word contextual computing, I was talking about contextual shortcuts on my screen. It's kind of been an evolution for me, Mm -hmm. but um, these are super easy to build with shortcuts. Now, if you've never even opened shortcuts, just stick with me through this next 10 or 15 minutes. We'll, we'll, we'll get you through it. (laughs) Um, Not really, because it's just like, most of these apps already have context built into them. Like you can tell Ulysses to open a specific note or drafts is a better example because Greg does such a good job. He makes it even easier where you have a specific identifier with a note and there is a drafts action called open note, you know, and you, you paste in that identifier and that's all it is. It's a one step shortcut. And let's say like, one of the things I do is Mac power users feedback. We get email all the time from listeners that um, they have ideas that we want to do on those feedback shows. And so what I do is I will copy it and then I will run a shortcuts action that opens up a drafts note with a unique identifier, which is running feedback for Mac power users and paste it in there. And I can do that through a shortcut. So you start building these simple shortcuts to to do specific actions that you want. A- another good example is an omni-focus task. Now, if, if I if it occurs to me to write a blog post about, uh, you know, you know, let's say I want to write a blog post about something cool I saw at five twelve pixels. Um, now I could on the historic app model open up omni-focus, click the button for new task. And then I could say, write something cool about Steven's 512 pixels post. And then I would go in and fill it in with the tags that relate to blog posts and, you know, the notes and everything I need. Alternatively, I could make a shortcuts action that says, take the current URL, which would be Steven's website when I see the, the cool article, and open up a new task in OmniFocus using shortcuts and, and, I could say the name of the task is write post about and just leave it blank after that. Then I would insert all the tags relating to, you know, blog writing, whatever the tags I have related to writing a post, you know, I could put flags in and then paste the URL that I'm at in the notes section. And so then I run that action. All I have to do is write in what I'm writing the post about, you know, Steven's experience with an SE 30. Mm-hmm. And, and then I hit the enter button and I've created the task and that's contextual. It's creating a task specifically related to the act of writing a blog post mm-hmm. much faster than doing it from scratch every time. Yeah. And, and you're, you're able to do that without seeing what else is in your task list. Right. And you, you're not even yeah. really leaving where you are. You just are hitting that share button and selecting the shortcut and off it goes for future David. Yeah. And whether I am writing a blog post, planning a podcast, doing a research project for a client, you know, writing a brief for a client, I've got specific task entries created for each one of those things. Anything that I do, you know, basically more than once, 
I've created a workflow with a contextual compute workflow where it's it's a one action shortcut action, create new task and OmniFocus, but I pre-filled in all of the appropriate boxes for each type of work I do. Okay. And the the advantage of that is not only is it faster, it's more consistent. I always get the same tags. I always get the same formatting and I never make, you know, human, silly human mistakes because mm-hmm. the computer is doing it for me. Now, uh, if you're listening and you're, you've, you're thinking, well, wait a second, that sounds, seems like a lot of work to go find those shortcuts every time you need to add a new task. And that's where the most useful action and shortcuts for contextual computing comes into play. There's, there's an action in shortcuts called choose from menu. And with choose from menu, it is exactly what it sounds like. It puts a menu up on the screen of options, and then you can put uh, individual shortcuts under each option. Um, so, for instance, um, I have a choose from menu for Mac Sparky, and it's a single button that says Mac Sparky on my iPhone, but it's got like 20 items underneath it. And it's all the stuff I do most frequently is Max Sparky. One of them is add a new blog post. And if I click that button and choose from menu, it runs that single action shortcut that gets me the new OmniFocus inbox item. Mm-hmm. Now I have a separate choose from menu on my home screen called Sparks Law, you know, or legal. And if I tap that, then the new inbox item about client work are there. So it's contextual. You with me? Absolutely. Um, I'm a huge fan of this feature in shortcuts. I agree with you. It is a massive deal because not only can you nest these shortcuts with their siblings, but it it can help with the the clutter issue as well. So one that I use every day is one that I called show prep. And so it has a choose from menu and it gives me a list of podcasts and then it opens the Google Doc for that show. And so throughout the week, as I'm tinkering with, you know, show notes for my upcoming episodes, I, like everyone else, have ideas, you know, when I'm away from my computer. And that shortcut is to the left of my home screen. I can say, okay, real quick, I want to go to MPU, and I can type in the couple lines of my phone and then just move on, as opposed to opening the Google Docs app, trying to find it, getting distracted with other stuff, just a couple of taps and I'm in right where I need to be. Yeah. So you're contextual computing. I mean, that's, that's what right. it is. Yeah. You know, another thing you can do with choose from menu is you can, you can nest them. So as an example, with my legal practice, I have about 15 different OmniFocus templates that I run. Like if you call me up and say, Hey Dave, make me a new California corporation. I will think, okay. And I, I have a, a OmniFocus template that creates like a 15 action list mm-hmm. that I go through as I create your new company. You know, everything from talking to your accountant to, you know, submitting the articles and all the things you do uh, for me, a new company. Um, and then, but, you know, digging through shortcuts to get those is a pain in the neck. So um, in that shortcut I talked about earlier, the legal one that has the inbox item, there's also one in that it says, new OmniFocus project. I think it's new OFP or something. I forget what the shortcut I have, what the name is, but it's like new OmniFocus project. I click on that and that runs another shortcut. That's just another choose from list shortcut. And in that I've got the 15 
templates that I run. And one of those is New Corporation. And when I push that button, it prompts me, what's the name of the company? What's the name of the contact? And then it creates the project for me. So all of this stuff is driven from four buttons on my home screen on my iPhone, which are always there if you look at my iPhone home screen. And it's all contextual computing. It's doing, it's getting from thought to action without anything in the middle. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably when they uh, heard the beginning part of this episode thought about the Mac, and we're going to get there, but Shortcuts really unlocks so much of this stuff for us when we're just on the go. It's a a little more limited what we can do on the Mac, but still very powerful if you spend some time and uh, especially, again, building these these choose from menu actions where you can have multiple shortcuts and you pick what you want. Spend some time in there, gang, because you can really unlock some stuff without too much work. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. And another thing you can do, shortcuts is, I think, a good starting place for contextual computing because it's already on your Mac. The tool you're going to need on, I'm sorry, the tool you're going to need on your Mac is a purchased set tool. It's going to be Keyboard Maestro. But mm-hmm. on on your iPhone, Shortcuts is already there. So you've already got the tool you need. And app developers have done a really good job of exposing the interiors of their application through Shortcuts. Like if you look at apps like Drafts and Ulysses and OmniFocus and the, you know the usual suspects that we like around here, um, those developers have already figured this out and they have put ways for you to get to specific locations in their apps. And they're usually one-step shortcuts. I mean, these contextual compute choose from menu shortcuts is just a bunch of menu items with one or two steps below it. And, you know, it's not, like I said, you don't have to be, you know, Brett Terpstra level, hmm. John Syracuse level nerd to do this stuff. Totally right. Just every time you find yourself getting distracted, you say, okay, how can I do that next time without getting that middle level stuck between me and it? OmniFocus um, does a good job. I know Things does as well. Mm -hmm. I I know a lot of listeners use Things. Um, Web-based task managers will do this as well. But in OmniFocus, you just literally, you right-click on almost anything in OmniFocus and copy as URL. And then you can do that with folders or projects. So you can say, um, or you can even do it with specific perspectives. Like I have a perspective in OmniFocus for Max Sparky that is um, items that fall in the Max Sparky folder that are flagged. And there's not a lot of those. Usually there's somewhere between three and 10 of those. I don't like to have a lot of them. But when I hit my Max Sparky um, context button on my phone, one of the buttons says, you know, Max Sparky action items, you know, and I click that and it goes to that specific perspective and OmniFocus and just shows me those three to 10 items that I'm working off of. And I don't get lost in the OmniFocus inbox. I don't get, I don't go down the, you know, rabbit trail of some other project entirely. I get to exactly where I need to do. And I've got the same thing for a personal list and for a legal list as well. So I can jump to those specific locations if I want. I know I'm preaching too much. No, <laughs> sorry. No, no, yeah. it's it's fantastic. So we've spoken about content apps, task managers, talking about uh, Safari, like actually going to a URL somewhere. Are there other uh, types of shortcuts that you kind of feel fit into this methodology? Yeah, yeah. Like we've been talking a lot lately about the the new generation of Notes apps. Mm-hmm. And they, most of them have support for it. Um, 
uh, Craft, which is one of my favorites because it's a native app on iPhone, iPad, and Mac, has, if you right-click on anything in drafts, you can, um, it says save as deep link, which I think I, I, I've got to, I got to talk to a developer. I think it's a URL, but they call it a deep link, but it gets you to a specific note or even gets you to a specific block and Mm -hmm. a specific note. So um, as an example, if I take, if I'm working on the field guide and I've got a block dealing with this one difficult chapter, um, I can create a deep link to all of my craft notes on that chapter And then I can embed that link into an OmniFocus task, or I can, you know, send it to my assistant, or I can do a whole bunch of things. And because craft works across all platforms, the link works across all platforms. So if I create the link on, um, on my Mac, but later I'm on my iPad and I click the link, it's still going to open up the craft app on my iPad and get me to that specific block. Right. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why these universal applications are more attractive to me than the web-based applications, Um, because sometimes those links don't work across platforms. Yeah, I've been uh, using Craft for all of my work notes. I've moved those uh, out of Apple Notes into Craft, and I love it as well. And their, uh, their shortcut support is really good. So you can do things like take a selection of content or URL and append it to an existing note. So if you have a running log of something, you can just add it on the go. Again, without having to go into the app, without having to see everything else in there, it is uh, very fast. And that that's another part of this that I, I, we've talked about. I'm not sure we've touched on specifically. Leaning into this means you can get stuff done, especially these little tasks, much faster, not just from the distraction standpoint, but from the, I just need to get this piece of data from here to there, doing it through shortcuts or keyboard maestro, whatever it may be, gets you back to what you were doing faster. That's sort of a, another angle to look at this, I think. Yeah. And, and the next time you use craft, rather than make a keyboard shortcut to get you a note, try right-clicking on a specific block inside one of your craft notes and copy that deep link. And then go paste it somewhere else, you know, paste it in your task manager, paste it wherever. And then the next time you click that link, it gets you back to that specific block. It, it feels like magic, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, drafts, I think is the poster child for this stuff. You can go to a specific draft. You can append to a specific draft. Um, Greg, you know, he just did such a good job of getting unique identifiers to all the notes you write that makes it easy to contextually computer edit. Apple Notes is not good at this. Apple Notes doesn't have a unique identifier for each individual Apple Note. The only way to get to an Apple Note via shortcuts is to search your Apple Notes library. And um, it's such a pain, a pain in the neck that what, because if there's like, if you search a word that's in more than one note, you don't know that you're going to actually contextually compute. You may land in the wrong note. So the way I get around that, I don't use Apple notes a lot these days, but w- when I need to identify a unique note is I have one password, generate a password and I paste it at the bottom of the Apple note. Mm. And that is basically a poor man's unique identifier. So then you have Apple notes search for, that password, which isn't a password, it's a it's a, you know it's an identifier, right? Uh, but it's not going to show up anywhere else, and uh, so you have it search for that, and then it always gets you to the right note. It's a dumb thing, and I'm sure there's an easier way to do it, but 
Um, I don't use Apple Notes enough to bother trying to figure out something easier. Sure. But, you know, uh, using these notes app, and you can also use these notes apps as like a mission mission control. Like this new field guide I'm working on, uh, I'd like to share the title. I'm just not there yet. But the <laughs> it's got in it, when you open the note, it's got a link to the pages document where I'm assembling the words out of Ulysses. It's got a link to the OmniFocus project. It's got a link to the Airtable page where me and the people that work with me are working on the back, you know, the backup and the outline and the stuff that we're doing with the field guide, you know, the production stuff. It's got a link to the folder on my Mac where I've got the files located. You know, it's got a link to the screen flow template file. It's like, so all this stuff is tied together with these URL links. So I also kind of use this contextual computing. I turn it into kind of like a mission control document Hmm. on whatever I'm working on. And it goes so deep that I can like, I can embed links to emails. Like if there's an email I send to somebody about something specific related to this project, I'll just save a link to the email in that craft, in this case craft, but I also do it with obsidian uh, document and, um, and I can get to it with one click. So it's, it's just crazy when it starts adding up. And I feel like this is a thing where it starts and you're like, huh, that's kind of clever. And that might help me a little bit. But then as you go deeper down the rabbit hole, it really um, exponentially improves. I guess we should talk about email a little bit. It's unavoidable. It's always well, here. Well, I mean, <laughs> but I mean, this is useful for email too. It is. There no, are, I agree. There are unique identifiers for emails, and it's really getting an email on iOS is difficult. You can copy, like you can drag from the Apple Mail app an email into a thing, and that creates a link to it, and that can help. Um, contextual computing is limited with Apple mail. Um, for the longest time with shortcuts, you could have Apple mail open a specific mailbox. So like, let's say you've got an, a folder called Max Sparky action and you put email in there that you want to take action on later in the day. And so you want to create a contextual compute action to open up that specific folder that broke on Apple mail. It worked for the longest time and then it just stopped working. Hmm. Um, towards the end of iOS 13 and it's still not working. So I don't know what the deal is with that. I've submitted a ticket on it and hopefully it gets fixed, but other email applications are working. Like I know it works with spark. Um, I've been experimenting with Hey and Hey is great because Hey creates a unique URL for every message as well as every message thread. And if you click the link and you're not signed in to your Hey account, you go, you get nothing. But if you're signed into the Hey account, it opens it up in the browser for you. So that way, if someone else got the link, they wouldn't be able to get to your email. Right. But you can get to it. And I, I think it's a good good security model. So there's a lot of stuff you can do with email, but it, it kind of depends on which email app you use. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that, of in Apple Mail, of course, for me, following up on an email so I don't have to keep it in the inbox or I don't have to keep it insane later, I can go ahead and pull the link to it and then just archive the email and it's there connected to the task. Or like you said, in a note where I can get back to it with just a click, but I don't have to keep it sort of front and center at the same time. Yeah. So you, all this is, is actually not that difficult. The trick is the choose from menu command and then just create individual commands 
and just kind of let your imagination go wild and it, it will build over time. I'm going to open up my, uh, my <laughs> contextual computing Max Sparky just here on, as we talked. So here's examples, you know, I've got a specific set of timers in toggle that I can go to with one tap, um, creating tasks in OmniFocus, going to specific email, going to specific boxes in Omni in OmniFocus, uh, post idea, which is a specific OmniFocus inbox item, active blog posts, which takes me to a specific group of things I'm writing in drafts that are I'm working on to build as active blog posts. I've got a dictation button, um, Airtable. Uh, then I've also got some basic ones that just open apps. I mean, that can be a contextual compute once you start putting this together. You know, go go to the Apple Store app. I mean, occasionally I just need to do that. I don't want to dig for it. Um, look at flagged mail. Go to the Slack, you know, window for for um, Relay. Mm-hmm. I mean, d- depending on what you're doing, I've got another one for active newsletters I'm currently writing on. So just, you know, you just kind of, everybody's got a different set of problems, but the trick is start building this contextual shortcut and just add to it every time you find something you need to add and it'll work. Yeah. So, so people don't have to feel like they've got to start with all of this, uh, yeah. for someone starting out, do you have, um, like a a favorite way to get started or one that you think is a good entry into this? It's kind of like text expander advice. You know, it's like you, whenever you catch yourself getting caught in the trap more than once, you're like, how do I get around this going forward? You know, if every time you catch yourself going to find a specific website and you find yourself getting distracted by other things on the internet, create a shortcut that drives to that specific URL and add it to a contextual choose from menu list. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's good advice. I think with any automation, that is the the advice that I give of pay attention to what you're doing over and over or where you get stuck and and start there. You know, if you don't need to take a link from Safari and put it into craft, then don't start there. Start with what makes sense for uh, your individual situation. Yeah. But I would say take 30 minutes on iOS. I'm going to tell you to take an hour on the Mac and just familiarize yourself with how it works and these tools, because you have to kind of have it under your fingers. Once you realize how easy it is, you'll, you'll make a lot of them. Agreed. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox. Head over to SaneBox.com MPU to receive a $25 credit on any plan. SaneBox learns what email is important to you and filters out what isn't, saving you hours. Now, SaneBox works with all kinds of email programs and services. You don't have to have a special app. And that's the thing I love about it because I like to try different apps out. And SaneBox just follows me around, giving me all these power tools on the back end of my email, no matter which app I'm going to use. It's great for email filtering. With the Sane Later folder, it will filter out your inbox and put a bunch of things in later that aren't that important to you and just leave the most important items in your inbox. And it's spooky good at this. I cannot get over how good it is. Um, they also have the same black hole where you can unsubscribe with one click. You get an email from somebody you don't want to get bothered by them again, put them in the black hole and you're done. Uh, with the snooze button, uh, you can defer events and emails till the next business day or the weekend. And Sane Reminders is probably my favorite feature. With Sane Reminders, you can carbon copy or blind copy any email to some period of time at SaneBox.com, like one week at SaneBox.com. And then if that person doesn't reply to you in a week, 
then you get a message from SaneBox saying, hey, you didn't hear back from this guy. What's going on? And I find this so useful. It's so much more efficient than creating like a task management tracking system for emails you've sent off. All you do is just blind copy it one week or two days or three hours or one month or next Monday or whatever, and it it does it for you. Um, But it's more than filtering. You can move attachments to Dropbox and other cloud services. And they have various pricing plans starting as low as $4 a month. You get a 14-day free trial. Go sign up for it and see how SaneBox can help you. And you go to SaneBox.com slash MPU to get that $25 credit on any plan. Mac Power users listeners are just the highest um, sign-up rate for SaneBox. They love our listeners because uh, our listeners are smart, and they get in here and they realize the service is immediately valuable when they sign up for it. I bet you will, too. So once again, that's SaneBox.com slash MPU and receive a $25 credit on any plan. Thanks, SaneBox, for all of your support of the Mac Power users and helping me sanely manage my email. Let's talk about the Mac. That's where a lot of us spend a lot of our time. And being on the Mac, you know, we don't have shortcuts at this point, but we have a lot of other options for this sort of stuff, don't we? Yeah, in fact, I, I think it's almost more powerful on the Mac, but it requires a little bit more kind of knowledge dive to get there. The you know it, it starts with URLs though, just like we we're talking about at the top of the show, but they're all over the place on the Mac, and they're almost easier to expose. But you need a way to drive to them easily. One of my favorite ways to do this is Alfred, which we covered a, a while back. One of its features is that you can search your bookmarks. And so I've got a bunch of bookmarks. They're in folders and subfolders, but anywhere I'm on my Mac, I can open Alfred and I can, I use the shortcut BB for book bookmarks. Uh, and I can be in uh, a saved webpage basically instantly without seeing anything yeah. else in Safari, without going anywhere else. And I, I mean, I fire that off uh, probably hundreds of times a week. Yeah, I mean, we had our listener write in with the last feedback episode with 1,200 bookmarks. Mm -hmm. Um, That is a form of contextual computing if she's getting to them with a method like this, you know, not drilling, just typing a few buttons on her computer and then suddenly at a website. And it can be that easy. But if you want to go a little deeper, um, I think that the answer really is Keyboard Maestro. I agree. You know, Keyboard Maestro is very similar to shortcuts, but much more powerful. I mean, you can embed scripts and, and do so much more with it. But just like you didn't need to go to the deepest depths of shortcuts and do contextual computing, you don't need to do that on the Mac either. Um, you can make Keyboard Maestro actions that do all of the things we talked about in the last segment. You know, open up a web page, go to a specific URL in OmniFocus, um, Devon think, which we didn't talk about so much on iOS is golden for contextual computing on the Mac because it does, it creates a link for anything in the app. It creates links for notes. It creates links for files, which the Mac finder doesn't do. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you put a contract or a client file or something into Devon think, uh, you can jump back to that specific, um, you can jump back to that specific document with one link. So, you know, thinking about, you know, I was talking about earlier, let's say you have a craft page where you're managing a project and you've got a file on your Mac that you want to be able to get to. 
you can get to that without any third-party software just by holding a dev and think link to it and it'll jump straight to it in fact there's a method with dev and think to jump to not only a specific pdf but a specific page on the pdf like with the url callback you can you can actually tell it which page to go to so it's just you know contextual computing uh, to the max there you know you can get down to wherever you need to with dev and think i do wish more of this was built into Finder itself. And you mentioned linking to a file. You can get to that like in the command line and some other places, but it's not nearly as easy as it is in something like Dev and Thinkercraft where it's just a right click away. That is something yeah. I wish that that Apple would consider, but thankfully we do have those third-party apps that that bring that to the Mac. Yeah, and, and if you want to, if you're not putting stuff in Dev and Think and you want to be able to get to a specific uh, finder item. Um, I recommend hook. You know, we had Luke on the show. The guy's a PhD in cognitive. I, I don't remember Steven cognitive something, right? Scientist. Yes. Uh, Br- brain and, scientist. We'll go yeah, with that. His, his elevator goes to higher floors than mine. That's right. Just, mine too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but the, um, but he, in his app hook, I mean, this is probably the most frequently used feature of his app for me where I can go to any file and then I hold down the hook keyboard shortcut and I just hit command C after that. And it copies a link to the file. And then I just embed it as a markdown file to wherever I'm at, whether it's an OmniFocus task or whatever, Mm -hmm. I can jump specifically to the file. Now that's one link that does not transfer over to iPad because it's Mac only. Um, But it's still something I use frequently, you know, and um, it's very useful. So, so that's the way you deal with Finder documents. But honestly, I, I put a lot of stuff into Dev and Think, and that that solves the problem too for me. Um, but you, you do the same thing in Keyboard Maestro. You start building links to things. And all of the stuff I was talking about earlier is still available, but even more so. Like Airtable is a good example. Airtable has a pitiful app on, on iPad and iPhone. <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on over there, man. Um, but... Yeah, they they need to do some work on that app. But Airtable is really fundamentally a web service that works amazing on the Mac. And like we use that for the field guides, the production team. We have a specific Airtable for every field guide and it lists every, you know, everything related to it and what the status of it and who's working on what and it just I, it's like a status board for the project for mm-hmm. me. And I save that specific page as you know, a neat, unique URL that I can now contextually compute or, or or travel to very easily from any time I'm working on those field guides. And that's even easier on the Mac than it is on iPhone and I, iPad because you don't have to deal with their lousy application. Right. Uh, Ulysses, email is another one. Email, I talked about some email problems earlier on iPhone and iPad. You don't get those problems on the Mac. You can You can drive to wherever you want. Um, you know, even in Apple Mail, they've got keyboard shortcuts to get to specific mailboxes. So you just use those and you just kind of, you know, work around the automation. Yeah. So you build up this group of tricks of how to get to specific places on your Mac and then you tie them together with Text Expander. And then the next problem that you're going to have is you're going to say, okay, this is great. Except now I have the same problem. I've got 15 work-related contextual compute shortcuts, how on earth am I ever going to remember them? 
<laughs> when I'm working in keyboard, you know, maestro. Because keyboard maestro, you know, the trigger, you can trigger it with all that. You can trigger it with a, a MIDI note. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I could say, okay, play a C major scale for your work stuff and play a D minor <laughs> scale for your, you know. But but I'm getting a little crazy, right? Um, the, the real trick to that is is a keyboard shortcut. You know, you click a keyboard shortcut. But, you know, if you want a separate keyboard shortcut for each one, quickly you're going to forget what gets you where. Mm-hmm. And I tried a bunch of different ways to solve this problem. And what really unlocked it for me is Keyboard and Maestro's got a feature called conflict palettes. And I'm not sure what Peter, I'm going to have to talk to Peter someday, what his reason was for making that. But the idea is if you have a Keyboard Maestro script and you give two of them the exact same um, keyboard shortcut, rather than breaking the app, it's just going to put up a a palette on the screen that says, oh, there's two things here with the same shortcut. Which one do you want? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, you know, I think in the usual world, you would take your mouse and click on the one that you wanted. But Keyboard Maestro auto-generates a keyboard shortcut to pick on that palette. So let's say I've got a Keyboard Maestro that's going to open up a message to Steven or Michael. And they both have are triggered by Command-R, right, for Relay. So I hit Command-R. And it says, oh, do you want to talk to Steven or Mike? And then the S will be underlined and the M will be underlined. And if I type S, it'll go to Steven. I type M and it'll go to Mike. So it creates these on the fly. And it's the only way I'm aware of in Keyboard Maestro that you can create a palette that auto-generates its own keyboard shortcuts. You can do it manually, but there's no others that do it automatically than these conflict palettes. So I decided, what if I lean into a conflict palette? Something that was designed to solve a problem when you make a mistake, what if I intentionally make mistakes here, you know? So I have a shortcut that is control option command M for Max Sparky. And I have another one that's L for legal and one that's P for personal. And if I type M, every shortcut I make related to contextual computing or every, you know, keyboard master script related to contextual computing related to Max Sparky gets the same keyboard um, shortcut, you know, Um, control option command M. So I generate a conflict palette that's got like 30 items in it, you know. But because it also automatically puts together a um, a shortcut scheme for it, no matter what I've added to it, um, I can drill through it really fast. Are you with me? Yeah, yeah, I am. Um, and I think that... You know, you said this is more powerful on the Mac. This, I think, is a is a keen example of that. Um, another thing that I just love about Keyboard Maestro, though, is all the triggers you can use. I mean, we jokingly said, you know, you could hook up a a MIDI keyboard and play a play a note, and things happen. But uh, for me, over the last I don't know six months or so, that's been the Stream Deck, where most of what I'm using my Stream Deck for is doing things in Keyboard Maestro to open sets of bookmarks or sets of web pages or whatever it is. And so even if the keyboard shortcut thing doesn't jive for you for whatever reason, there's lots of ways in. It's a lot more flexible than uh, doing things on the iPhone or iPad in that way. Yeah. And it's crazy because with this conflict palette, the conflict palette shrinks as you type in like I realistically have like 30 items on my keyboard maestro conflict pal from Max Sparky is so big that it doesn't even fit on the screen on my M1 Mac. <laughs> right. But that's not a problem because everything drills down as I type through it. So mm-hmm. just to give you an example, 
I type control option command M and it gives me this super long list. But if I type then an M after that, all of the Mac power user things start with the related, um, all the Mac power users related scripts that relate to contextual computing start with MPU. So if I just type M, then suddenly the list drops down to like six items, you know, and then like, so I have MPU advertisers, Google doc, MPU expense, Google docs, MPU feedback document, MPU uh, um, documents, which it gets me to a folder on Google docs, um, the planning document, the OmniFocus planning sheet, you know, um, the schedule. So I've got all these different things and they all start with a different letter. So I just type, so I open up the Max Barkey one, control option, command M. Then I type one more M. And then if I type F, it goes straight to the feedback document. Fantastic. So, and, and then after a little bit of time doing this, you develop muscle memory, right? <laughs> so I don't even think about it anymore. If I want to go into the feedback document, it's like control option, command M, M, F, mm-hmm. you know, and that fast, I'm where I need to be. And it's just crazy um, what a game changer this kind of, this little change in my life just really changed the way I, I use computers. So, um, and then I've got it for, you know, all the different podcasts I'm on, the field guides, and I've got all sorts of weird things in here that I've just added. Like, I've got one, if I type control option command M, and then I type CE, it centers whatever window I am on the screen because I'm always um, screencasting. I want to center the window before I start rolling the recording. And it's just, I just wanted a simple way to do that. And I've got another one to, you know, adjust the microphone settings. It's like stuff that I find myself doing all the time. I automate this in relation to context. And now I don't think about it anymore. It's fantastic. I'm, I'm glad you're excited about this. I, I know people may think you're preaching, but I'm, I'm here for it. I that's I've got a long history of going over the edge, so who cares? <laughs> um, but so th- that's the way you do it on the Mac is you get keyboard maestro. I'm gonna put, you know, I mean, I'm gonna do this. I rarely put um, field guides on sale for more than five dollars. I'm gonna take ten dollars off the um, keyboard maestro field guide if um, if you type, um, um, let's see. MPU context. I'm not going to publish that anywhere. Just coming out in the show. Okay. And it'll be, so if you want to get it, cause I also did a webinar on contextual computing that's in there. It's an hour long webinar that you can get that too. And I'm not trying, I honestly didn't do the show to try and sell you stuff, but if you want to get down it, this would help you kind of sort that out. But it's just, it's really, um, I don't know. I think it can really make a difference. So the main ones I use on Mac are MP and L mm-hmm. that gets me to the stuff I need. And like, even like on the personal ones, like it's dumb stuff, but it's useful, you know, go to my banking website to the specific page I use to do my banking. You know, I, one of the things I try to do is track my, um, I keep pages in, um, in my uh, text notes manager on roles in my life and how I'm doing on them. So I've got one, if I hit RF, it goes to my father page, like Am I doing okay as a dad? Where am I, where can I do better? You know, it's like all this stuff I can jump to with these very short um, keyboard shortcuts and, and never do I get stuck in the middle. And, you know, getting back to the beginning of the show, the whole point of this is to go from idea to, um, to, to getting the work done without getting you know trapped along the way. 
This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by the IntraZone from Microsoft SharePoint. It's a great time to find new podcasts at home. We've got some time on our hands, and there's a bunch of great ones out there. The the IntraZone by Microsoft SharePoint is a bi-weekly podcast with conversations and interviews about people who are using SharePoint, OneDrive, and related technologies at their work, at their companies, businesses, schools. You'll hear from guest experts behind the scenes and out in the field, so you can see how these technologies fit into your everyday work life to easily share and manage content, knowledge, and applications across teams. Each show covers a bunch of segments like news and announcements, a focus topic of the week, guest perspectives, FAQs, upcoming events, and more. I listened to an episode recently where uh, a company was moving from a pretty old internal system and moving into the the new Microsoft tool set. And they had hundreds of thousands of pieces of information. And we're talking about migrating that. That's a big job. But Microsoft and its partners are ready for it. It was really fascinating to hear how you deal with that large of a data set. They've also discussed working from home, which is relevant to more people than ever, Figuring out an intelligent intranet for your organization when everyone is not in the same place is a big deal. So go and listen to it now. Just search for the IntraZone wherever you get your podcasts. That's I-N-T-R-A-Z-O-N-E. Or click the link in the show notes to check it out. Our thanks to the IntraZone by Microsoft SharePoint for their support of Mac Power users. All right, so I thought um, it'd be fun to talk about some kind of more advanced tricks and techniques for this once you start getting the basics under your fingers. And one of them that I think you should consider as you start to figure this out is chaining together contextual computing events. Um, time tracking is a good thing. Like a lot, a new year, a lot of people want to start time tracking. And I think timing is a great way to do that on your Mac, but people want to time track across more platforms. Um, but you know, the, the usual one that people use, the one I use when it's not timing is toggle, Mm -hmm. but that requires you to throw a switch every time, you know, you want to start doing something. I'm going to start recording Mac power users, stop and hit the Mac power users button. Right. We're humans, right? How often do we forget to throw the switch? All the time. Running. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, when you start using contextual computing technique, you can suddenly add a whole bunch of other automation related automation to it and um toggle is a good example there's a great app for toggle that is called timery timery yes timery i'm a subscribing member of timery and one of the things timery does is it creates makes it very easy to create shortcuts to kick off timers so let's say you create a contextual shortcut whether it's on iphone Actually, this this is more likely an iPhone because timery doesn't exist on Mac. Uh, and you say, I'm going to go into the MPU preparation document. So I'm going to do work on show prep. Um, I could add a one-step timery action that says kick off the MPU pre- preparation timer at the same time. And you, you think about that all across the board. Like I'm going to go into the OmniFocus Mac Sparky um, list, you know, and I'm going to do some planning, kick off the Max Barkey planning timer. You know, I'm going to start a workout and kick off the exercise timer. You know, whatever your timers are, you can tie them into this contextual computing for free. Um, another thing you can do with this is other things like giving yourself, um, you know, making it easier for you. Like I like to listen to, um, 
um, dark noise, which is just a white noise mm-hmm. app that does has like rainstorms and whatnot. And I, I associate specific noises with specific actions. And I've added to some of these contextual compute workflows, kick off a dark noise noise, you know, so it, it just starts playing the noise, sets the timer and puts me into the application I need to be doing the work in. It's fantastic. And you can do that both with shortcuts and with keyboard meister on the Mac where a single trigger can yeah. set off a series of events. Yeah. And it depends on, you know, what you want to do. Like timing, uh, toggle timers are actually a tough nut to crack on the Mac. Um, because for a lot of reasons, you can script the UI of the toggle app on the Mac, but it's not reliable. And, uh, Rose and I have talked about this over on the automators podcast, but the fact that there is no timery, that timery doesn't work on the, um, Apple Silicon Max makes me think he's probably working on a Mac version. And if he does, I will be the first to buy. Yeah. Um, but the uh, but either way, you can start chaining these things together. So start thinking about things you would do at the same time you want to put yourself in that context, whether it's play some music or use your home kit, you know, to turn the lights up or turn the lights down or whatever it is that you want to do. Um, another really good one I use, and this is one I talked about during the St. Jude Telethon is watch faces. I find setting watch faces a great way to kind of set myself in context. When I work on the Mac power users, my watch face turns MPU green, you know, the kind of the green color we have in our logo. And I look at my watch and I'm like, I know exactly what I'm doing right now. And I, you know, it's dumb, but you know, I'm just trying to fight that rebellious organ between my ears that always wants to get in the way, Steven. <laughs> Um, it's so, so I, I've got all kinds of weird things I do, but you can tie this into a contextual compute automation workflow. And again, none of these are like programming an app. It's like a one action thing, change watch face. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not hard. Another thing you can do is combine this stuff with personal knowledge management. I referred to that a little bit in the last segment, but, um, no matter, you know, the PKM is probably going to be talked about more this year on Mac power users because it just keeps changing. I know I, I started bringing it up towards the end of last year, but I think this is the year where we're going to see some amazing tools develop. But uh, I do like the idea of having like a mission control doc on big projects that I'm working on. Um, so, um, and then contextual links in those documents make a ton of sense. Uh, you know, Put, put a link to your task manager, put a link to whatever web pages you are that you're on it. Like um, I'm in a, um, a mastermind group now and we've got, I've got on the page related to that, I've got a link to the base camp page and like all this stuff to allow me to jump around between these things and round trip them. Um, and I, I even, and it goes the opposite direction too, like these PKM pages. Um, it could be a page in drafts. It could be a page in craft. It could be an obsidian or room research or whichever your tool of choices, but all of those have links into them. Just like we talked earlier, like craft has a deep link for the page name. Well, I also embed the craft page and the OmniFocus project, you know, cause there's a place for notes on the OmniFocus project. So if I'm working into tasks, I can jump back to the mission control page for that project as well. Make sense. Absolutely. Yeah, so everything ties together. Um, in the Ulysses project on this thing I'm writing for, I've got a top note in Ulysses, which is links, which gets me to the key pages, the air table and the craft page and the things that I'm working for that project. So no matter where I am, I can jump around at will. One way to look at it is like creating your own personal super app, right? 
there's always been this development of applications and there always will be where they try to be a jack of all trades, you know, uh, an app that does task management, but also does notes and it does email that does all these different things at once. And generally my, my feeling has been, they're usually okay at all of them, but not great at any of them. Um, with this type of contextual computing and linking, you can pick your favorite task manager, you know, and you can put it in the system and link to it and basically build it in as part of the whole system, right? Same thing with Ulysses. Like Ulysses is the place I want to write this book because Ulysses is the best place to write the book. You know, I could do it in other places, but it wouldn't be as good. So why not just use these backlinks to, to get to Ulysses and treat it as a component of my super app? Ugh, man, how can anybody put up with me? Hey, I just keep talking. No, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Th- this is a, a Mac Power user that is very David heavy, but it's great. It's good stuff. It's I'm good getting stuff. something off my chest here. No, no. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it I reminds mean, me of the. Uh, this has <laughs> yeah. crept into other conversations over the last year. And so I'm yeah. glad that it is uh, that is now here. Another thing is between platforms, you know, using as many apps as you can that work between platforms makes this even more powerful. Um, one of the big selling points for craft to me is that the deep links and craft work on Mac, iPhone and iPad, right? I can get to that page or that block on whichever device I'm on. So if I'm in OmniFocus on my Mac, and I put a link to a craft page and then I, I'm on my iPhone two days later, that link still works for me. It doesn't work for everything. Like I talked about, um, so the hook links to files don't work. Um, I use Obsidian a lot for legal stuff, but, um, those don't work necessarily because they don't have a iPhone and iPad app yet. Um, uh, but you know, to the extent you can bring it to cross pl- platform applications, it can become more powerful for you. And that really depends on what you do. Maybe you're somebody who just watches movies and Netflix on your iPad, then you don't really care. Yeah. Or, or if you do all of your work on the Mac or, I mean, you, you can tailor what you use to fit where you are. So like for me, my keyboard, my show setup, vastly more complex and honestly useful than what I do in shortcuts. Cause I don't really work on the iPad and for the phone, yeah. I've really honed it down to quick data entry for a very specific type of thing. Yeah. Which makes sense. And, and you got to just kind of pick your own recipe here, but as long as you know, the ingredients, you can build it. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that's kind of emerged out of me doing this is a much more powerful activity log. Like I used to do a thing with client um, projects where I would make an activity log in an Apple note where I'd write down the stuff that we talked about on phone calls or things I was going to plan. I was never super happy with the security of that. And, and it was just notes. They really didn't have links built into them. But once I started, you know, finding the, um, the easy ability to create specific links, I started adding them to the activity logs. And and now I'm doing it in Obsidian. So when I have a client project at the bottom of each project is a thing called activity log, which is a, like an H2 heading with underneath it. It's got date entries and activity. And Obsidian, as I, I mentioned late, uh, late last year, has now added its own end-to-end encryption solution if you pay them four bucks a month you you supply your own password nobody on their server can read your stuff so i feel okay doing this and it links this activity log between my macs and in the activity log i'm embedding links to the specific emails links to projects uh, links to specific documents and 
The, the beauty of it is the way all of my links are working. If someone got that link, they wouldn't be able to use it. You'd have to be on my system that has everything unlocked in order to get there. So it's a, it's a nice way to embed stuff and stay secure. And then when someone asks me like, Hey, what, you know, where do we stand on this? I say, well, you know, we talked two months ago on this day at this time, and I sent you the follow-up email and they're like, well, what did the email say? And I can just click the link and it opens the email and I can read the email. And, you know, it just, it makes the activity log way more powerful. Yeah, that, that's really cool. That's always something that I struggled with when I did a lot more client work than I do now, where trying to keep a log of what's going on, and uh, this really would have saved me a lot of heartache back in the day. It, it takes a little effort to make it, but when you automate the creation of these links and you start getting you know better at it, um, it takes very little time, and I've already found the payoff to be worth it. And it just also, you know, there's just a sense of comfort to know that you have all, all of your, um, all, you know, all the details are tied down. Mm -hmm. It's just, there's something good about that. Uh, Some, some big takeaways on all of this is, and I'd really like you to go away from this with this thought is this stuff is not that hard. And the actual automation we're describing is go to a website, open a specific view in a specific app, you know, run a timer. Um, these individual components aren't difficult, but when you add them together with something like a conflict palette or a choose from menu shortcut on the, on the mobile devices, they just become way more powerful in the aggregate than they are individually. Yeah. And I think, like you said, the sort of the next level move is chaining multiple actions together, but you definitely don't have to start there. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think, open this document, you know, start this timer is probably one of the most common chains. I had not thought about doing something like um, dark noise, you know, in conjunction with one of these, but there's all sorts of things you can do. um, And you may already be doing some of it. You know, people who have HomeKit setups, you may be already doing this type of thing, right? When I come home or when I press this button, turn these lights on, turn that off, the obviously the tasks are very different there, but it's the same sort of idea where you want to get something done, get to a state of something as efficiently as possible. And so even if you're not familiar with some of the tools we've been talking about, A, they're they're easy to learn, lots of good resources in the show notes, but automation is something you may already be doing elsewhere and you can take those same sort of principles and apply them to this, I think really easily. Yeah, it's just, it's not that hard. And it works way better than you'd think. I mean, I, I kind of stumbled into this, honestly. Um, you know, I think the first limitation that started me thinking about this was the limitation of how many shortcuts can I put on my home screen? But then it quickly kind of grew upon itself. And then once I figured out conflict palettes as the mechanism to launch them on the Mac, that like opened the floodgates. Mm-hmm. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Pingdom. Start monitoring your website performance and availability today. Get instant alerts when an outage occurs or a site transaction fails. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM and use offer code MPU to get 30% off right now. Do you have a website and does your website have a shopping cart, registration forms, or contact us page? If you answered yes to these questions, then you need Pingdom. Nobody wants their critical website transactions to fail. That means a bad experience for your users and could mean lost business for you. 
But the good news is you can set up a transaction monitoring program with Pingdom. Transaction monitoring will alert you when cart checkout forms or login pages fail before they affect your customers and your business. The last thing you want is someone on Twitter to tell you that your website is down. Pingdom will make sure that doesn't happen. Pingdom will let you know the moment any of these fail in whatever way is best for you. You can customize how they are alerted and how those alerts are delivered depending on the outage severity. Pingdom will let you know the moment any of these fail in whatever way is best for you. You can customize how you're alerted and who is alerted, depending on the outage severity. Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience possible, and if disaster strikes, you will be the first to know. It's super easy to get started. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. When you sign up, Use code MPU at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. I think this is really useful no matter what you do on the internet. You always want to be the first person to know if something breaks. Thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and all of FM. So you mentioned uh, bringing this to the desktop, and this was uh, another time in uh, preparing for this episode where, oh, this is some stuff that I'm uh, already doing, especially from the angle of cutting down on distractions where I have anything remotely social shoved off onto its own virtual desktop, you know, in spaces with the Mac. And so I don't see Twitter or discord or, uh, messages most of the time, unless I go hunt them down. And that has just been a small change I've made this past year that I feel like is really helped me kind of hone in on whatever task I'm actually working on. Yeah. And it's not that difficult. Um, this one in particular lends itself to keyboard maestro because you can set, you know, up, open a specific app, put it in this location on the screen and take further actions. You can also use any one of the many desktop management programs, but I feel like keyboard maestro is kind of the best way to do this. I also think this is just a natural outgrowth of buying a stream deck, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, uh, if you own a Stream Deck, and we didn't mention it earlier, but all the contextual computing stuff you can trigger with Stream Deck because Stream Deck can start a keyboard master yep. script. Or a better touch tool, for that matter. Yeah, exactly. But you can run it off the, the touch bar in your Mac that everybody wants to make fun of, but can be really powerful. Uh, so you get you set up one of these scripts, and like as an example, like when I'm doing planning work, I have OmniFocus open on the left side of the screen and Fantastical on the right side. And that's the starting point, right? But because I'm doing contextual computing, I've broken it down to planning for Max Sparky versus planning for the legal practice. And the calendars that show up and the lists that show up in OmniFocus change depending on which one I pick. But that's a desktop setup and it's a contextual desktop. I mean, it gives me exactly what I need and nothing more to do that planning work. Uh, how do you manage what I have dubbed app creep, especially on the Mac where I'll, I'll open an application for something and then I don't necessarily close it and it's still kind of hanging out. Maybe it's still getting notifications or stuff's going on in the background. I know Keyboard Maestro can hide and even quit applications after a certain time. Is that something that that you utilize? I have a magic button. If I hit control option command x on my computer it minimizes every window on the screen nice so um and then i've got all the context built already so occasionally as app creep occurs and suddenly i realize that my desktop has turned into a big mess 
I hit the nuclear button. I don't quit the apps because a lot of times the apps may be doing some activity that I want it to continue to do. Um, so I, I hit the big X and everything minimizes. I see my desktop picture again. And then I hit the context button for whatever it was I was doing and it resets. So yeah, let's use the planning example earlier. Um, if I say I've got this influx of windows and things, I'll hit the X and then I'll hit the Max Sparky uh, planning page. And the way I would do that is that is part of my conflict palette, you know, going back, you know, the desktop setups are in the conflict palette too, um, where I can hit uh, command option control M and then the P L for planning. And then it opens up the, the desktop setup for planning. Um, you could also do it with a, with a um, button on a um, stream deck or, you know, any of the other third party things we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Made a keyboard. I keep going back to that one. It cracked me yeah. up. I, well, that's a trigger in in um, Keyboard Maestro. In fact, if you are using Keyboard Maestro as a MIDI trigger, you have a moral duty to log into the Mac Power Users forum and explain to us what you're doing with it. Because there's parts of me that want to do that so bad. Oh, wait a second. Steven, I now have a saxophone that can export MIDI signals. Oh, goodness. Do you see where I'm going with this? Yes. Do you see? I'm I'm already excited about the feedback episode. All right. Anyway, <laughs> I want to hear from you if you're using a keyboard to do this. Yes. But, but you could do it, um, you know, trigger it however you want. But the idea of saying, I want this set up every time I work on this, it like it's just a way of short wiring your brain to say, oh, okay, now I see these windows in this order. And I always know that when I see these windows in this order, I do this work. It like, it, you know, have you heard of the concept of neuroplasticity? Mm-hmm. I love it. It's like the greatest thing, right? Even though you get older, you can still rewire that thing between your ears. And this is the kind of thing where every time you see these windows set up this way, you do this kind of work. And before you know it, all you have to do is push the button and your brain just jumps into that mode. Um, so, you know, think about it. Like I, so I have planning set up for that. I have email processing. I do podcast planning versus podcast recording because it's an t- entirely different set of tools. Yeah. Uh, I have legal research. I have, um, you know, uh, brief writing. I have like so many different um, desktop setups. And it, it was just a question. It wasn't that hard. I created them naturally over time. But now I just said, well, I don't want to manually do this anymore. And the, I, I created it manually one last time and then wrote it in to Keyboard Maestro. It's fantastic. Uh, one of the tricks I do for this is I'm a big fan of the left side, right side screen. You know, when you've got a, an IMAX size screen, which is something we're going to discuss in more power users, <laughs> oh, <laughs> but no. the, uh, you know, the ability to, um, to put like two different things on one half of the screen and just fill the screen with those two things that helps avoid distractions, but you could do it. I mean, some people like to have more windows on a screen. You could make them smaller and, and place them wherever you want, but mm-hmm. with keyboard maestro, you can, you can get as granular with that as you want. Yeah. And it can be as simple as just arranging those windows in a way that makes that makes the most sense or having those pairs and uh, i mean keyboard maestro does that moom does it. there's lots of window management applications even mission control which is just built into the mac can do some of that although mission control to my knowledge is not something you can automate very easily but uh, these other tools can sling windows around for you just fine yeah man i really wish apple would rethink their their theory of split screen apps on, on Mac, it just, it's just way too cumbersome to use it. 
I agree. Totally agree. But either way, uh, what are some of the desktop setups that you have created? Uh, well, like I said, I've got the one where is it's basically my default set and I have a keyboard on my stream deck for this and it opens sort of my core applications for an everyday in the office where I'm not recording. And as part of that social stuff goes off to the second display. Uh, I like you have one uh, and also a keyboard maestro setup for when I podcast. And so when I'm recording a show, all I need is Skype and audio hijack and Safari. And it, it gets rid of everything else. Uh, cause it's, it's important when doing a podcast where if you get distracted and you don't know what the other person said, or I guess not what anybody wants. And so really having a, um, a clean palette for me is important when I record. And again, just a button on the stream deck now, because I'm living that, that stream deck lifestyle. That's about as far as I've gotten. It's sort of recording versus non recording, but, uh, a lot of my work like show prep across my different podcasts that all uses the same tools. And so I don't really need to segregate things out the way that you do with Max Sparky and legal. For instance, I don't have those big divides that sure. some people do. Sure. Well, it it's really powerful. I, I know I've said it a million times, but uh, it was game changing for me. And it's always delightful when a piece of technology becomes more obedient to you as a user. Mm-hmm. And I find that contextual computing is the way to get there. It helps me a lot. Um, and you don't have to build the entire structure in a day. This is a very organic process of just finding things that you want to eliminate distractions and, you know, draw that straight line from idea to action and mm-hmm. just start creating them slowly. And as you learn how to create them, it, it becomes ridiculously easy. Like even like the desk setups, once I figured out the best way to resize windows and put things where I want them, I just kept duplicating the keyboard maestro script and just changing the app, you know, and making little tweaks to where things appear. Mm-hmm. Um, this stuff is, does not take a huge amount of time. No, it really doesn't. And uh, it, it can help if you are using this and you've got better or different ideas to sound off in the forums. If you're using a keyboard, a musical keyboard to trigger this, I definitely want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. You owe it to me. Um, if you want to get the keyboard maestro shortcut, it's I'm making it a short time like a week or two, $10 off if you use MPU context and I'm not going to publish that anywhere. And I feel guilty doing this, but I also really want people to do this. I want people to learn this stuff. So, you know, um, sorry to be like pitching you stuff on the show again, but this is something that could help you. Um, the, uh, but yeah, contextual computing, give it a try. We are going to talk about uh, this whole idea of me and my future of my Mac Pro. I am super nervous about more power users. So if you're a subscriber, stick around for that. Otherwise, thanks to our sponsors, 1Password, SaneBox, Microsoft, and Pingdom. We'll see you next week. <laughs>